0: Today on Never Was a Gamer, can this show turn me into a Crash Fandicoot? or will he end up Crash Bandicoot? <laughs> Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is the rolling boulder that hurries me along my game-playing path, Dimitri.
1: Oh, there are so many meaner things you could have said, I think I got off pretty easy.
0: Yeah, I like you, remember?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, We're, we did it. We, we finally pulled the Crash Bandicoot trigger.
0: We pulled it a couple times.
1: <laughs> yeah, I guess yeah, I guess we did. We're doing we're doing Crash Bandicoot today, the second game in our arc of games that Michelle expects to hate.
0: Games Michelle accurately predicted her reaction to, more <laughs> or less.
1: <laughs> I think this one's been a long time coming. This has been a game that I know that you've hated On site. For a long time, right, because you'd never played it. No. But this was one that anytime Crash Bandicoot was ever mentioned, you just had a visceral reaction. This to.
0: is me mumbling on the couch beside you when like a trailer is shown for crash four at like e3 <laughs> or whatever like ugh, ugh,
1: ugh, <laughs> for years for years and i'm so glad that we found an excuse to finally play crash really i don't think it's much of a secret that one of the reasons i pitched an arc of games you expect to hate is mostly so you could play crash yep i feel like I brought myself into this. Uh,
0: yeah, I'm I was pleasantly surprised by how much skin you were willing to put in the game here, <laughs>
1: so to speak. I was never a huge crash fan growing up. Weird. <laughs> so even though uh, my brother says that in the timeline where my mom bought me Boogerman, <laughs> I become a crash <laughs> fan. Though I think that's I think that's overly harsh. So I think there you go, me.
0: world. We're not in the <laughs> darkest timeline. We're in the second darkest <laughs> timeline.
1: <laughs> But this is the reason that we picked Crash Bandicoot. One, because you have always had this visceral reaction, um, having never played the game. It's a pretty major game. It's a pretty major series. One of the best-selling PlayStation series of all time. This is actually your first Naughty Dog game.
0: Yeah. I've never played any of the Uncharted's. No Last of Us's.
1: Yeah. And and the line from Crash to Last of Us is is very wiggly.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh- I had questions,
1: <laughs> but the line from like, Crash to Jack and Daxter, which you also haven't played, is is much more direct, right? And even from there to to something like Uncharted. So yeah, it's 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 your first Naughty Dog game for me. It's I had played some Crash before, like at friends' places, but I didn't really grow up with the PlayStation, right? And even when kind of later on when I got them or I le- got a PlayStation, or at least was had the capability of playing PlayStation One games, like emulating them on PS Two or whatever, I never went back and got Crash because. I had felt that uh, my platforming itch had been satisfied elsewhere. Yeah. Would you have sort of aged out of them at that point? You never age out of platformers. (laughs) You're
0: right. You're right.
1: It it is maybe one of my, maybe my favorite genre, top top three favorite genres. You know, I love platformers. So maybe it says something about my own reaction to Crash that I never actually went back. You were
0: like, I'm good, actually. Yeah,
1: usually I try to (laughs) grab any platformer that I can get my hands on that's supposed to be somewhat decent. Mm -hmm. And I I know there there are huge Crash fans. So I I was kind of happy to have this opportunity to explore Crash myself and see what all the fuss is about. I mean, at least for the PS1 era, right, Crash was the de facto Sony mascot. And so even for me, I, I feel like there's a you know, my gamer card is is kind of missing a check <laughs> because I don't really have experience with Crash, who is, you know, pretty much a, a video game icon, or at least was and is kind of re-emerging as, as one now. Uh, but before we get into our Crash journey, and, and it was a journey, it was a much longer yep. journey than I think either of us had expected. Yep. Uh, why don't you detail some of the reasons that you have this repulsion, why you really <laughs> dislike Crash, because this is this seems to be a recurring theme with the games we're playing for this arc, where true the dislike for the main character extends to you just not wanting to even play the game. Uh, we saw it with God of War. Yeah, I think we see it maybe even more intensely with Crash.
0: I agree, because God of War, I I like Kratos's basic design. Like if you showed me him with no context, I would be like okay. Um, whereas this does truly repel me. Um, it's. We just we do not vibe. Uh, this character and I. Um, he looks like uh, if they made a game about the cool spot
1: from Seven Up. I mean, they did make a game about the cool spot from Seven Up.
0: Okay, that was not a setup. Um, <laughs> he's like if if Taz from Looney Tunes was the mascot for Cheetos. In fact, he's just oh. like Chester Cheeto.
1: Th- yeah, and actually, there is there is kind of a, a lineage there. Uh, when when I get into kind of the creation of Crash, oh no, you'll you'll see that there's not with the Cheetos, uh, not with Chester Cheetah, but with Taz. He reminds me of like, okay, you know how
0: up until probably like last year, everyone on Earth had like a weird uncle who still wore those like extreme wraparound sports sunglasses that were popular in the nineties. That's like this guy. This guy, Crash Bandicoot, looks like who? The cops would send in to talk to your sixth grade class about not doing drugs. But okay, so but he he is Crash Bandicoot is a narc. That's (laughs) that's what I'm saying.
1: I mean, he is from 1996,
0: right? Well, yeah, (laughs) humanity's darkest hour. He's like, he's like, okay. When I was in grade school, I did a school exchange with uh, a school in New Zealand, and I like went there for a bit. And then a student from New Zealand came here for a bit. And one thing that I learned is that New Zealanders think of Australians the way Canadians think of Americans. And this character looks like a New Zealander's doodle of what an Australian is
1: like. <laughs> oh, that's that's rough
0: and accurate.
1: Apologies you to you. Americans and Australians and New Zealanders quite don't, frankly. Don't
0: apologize for me. You can't do that. He's like um he's like a zoo exhibit sponsored by Monster Energy drink. He looks like he'd be voiced by Ken Marino if there was like a movie. <laughs> Ken Marino's funny. Yeah, well, I mean that's one of the main areas where they differ. Do, do you he's just, like li- he's oh literally God. like Poochie the dog. Like you know that Simpsons where they make yeah. Poochie? This is the Poochie the Dog game in a platformer. It's like, what if you wanted to make Banjo Kazooie, but also it was sponsored by Mountain Dew? Like, it's just, it's okay. Yeah, all, his, the wrong, it's his, all the wrong. It's all the wrong vibes.
1: I'll give you that. His design is very mid nineties. He's just a mouth, jorts, and googly eyes. Okay, so this is a question I had for you. Now that you've played it, is he actually in jorts? Yes. Or confirmed. is he wearing swim trunks or like denim capris?
0: Okay, they're not. Swim trunks, for sure. Strike that right out. I think you are misremembering how little of a difference there was in that moment between normal men's denim shorts and what we would call denim capris. <laughs> okay. That was just the length that jean shorts were for dudes of a certain coolness in that period. So, like, you, that's a distinction without a difference. They're jorts, though.
1: Confirmed. Okay, so Jorts in, confirmed. So he's in his jorts. Yeah. Crash and John Cena. The, the legacy of jorts.
0: I, you know, I hate when wrestlers wear jeans, <laughs> like get dressed up for the occasion. I, it turns out <laughs> I don't like when platforming characters wear them either.
1: Is that really the only reason you never want to touch these games? Because you do also enjoy a platformer.
0: Yeah, I do. You enjoy
1: a Donkey Kong Country yeah. quite a bit. And I think there you can see a clear inspiration here.
0: Yeah, I just think like most of the art I saw for these games for a long time was ugly, frankly. Um, and... I don't need it. I don't need this. I don't need that one that that repels me. When there are so many other franchises that I genuinely like, I don't. I I really like platformers, but I don't have your infinite capacity and infinite hunger for them. So, like, why would I pick this if, up if I can just replay Tropical Freeze again? Okay, you know that's kind of where I'm at.
1: Yeah. Okay. That that's fair. Uh, I think one thing that's really interesting though is that. Crash emerges and becomes really popular during the character mascot boom. Like, there's so many games that are trying to do character-based platformers. Okay. Right? As you know, Nintendo has Mario, Sega has Sonic. You know, the the mascots attached to these big hardware manufacturers and major publishers are platform characters. Mm-hmm. You also get a spate of them. So many come out between, you know, like, say, 1993 and 1996, right? You've got your Marios. you got your Donkey Kongs. you got Sonics. You got Knights, who we talked about, who's going to be on the, oh, yeah. on the Sega Saturn. You got Rayman. Mm-hmm. You got Gex on the 3DO, who they're trying to get. As, oh yeah, their that mascot. Gecko.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got
1: Bubsy. Bubsy. Right. You got Arrow the Acrobat on the Super Nintendo. You got Zero the Kamikaze Squirrel. You got uh, Punky Skunk.
0: You're making these. You up. You got
1: Rice Star.
0: This is. Are you, got you making these? Rocket
1: up? Knight. Stop this. You got Wild Woody. No, <laughs> not Wild Woody. You do. Who does? <laughs> no, I didn't. I never played. <laughs> Maybe we got to play some Wild Woody. Oh God! But I think the the interesting thing to keep in mind here is that, is that Crash kind of emerges into this fray and and succeeds largely because he's a 3D platformer. Okay. And this is really one of the first 3D platformers. Crash was being made kind of contemporaneously with Super Mario 64. Crash came out two months after Super Mario 64 came out in Japan. Oh,
0: that's close.
1: Yeah, kind of two weeks before. Uh, Mario 64 came out in North America, so they really didn't have any idea of what else was being created. So this is really Naughty Dog imagining what a 3D platformer could look like without any precedent. Right. And at this time, Naughty Dog was basically a two-person team still. They had had some minor successes. They had this game called Way of the Warrior that was basically a Mortal Kombat knockoff for the 3DO. But they had enough success with that that they were able to sign a deal with Universal Games kind of get more financial leverage than they've ever had to make a game. And we're pretty much just told, you know, make whatever you want. And so they thought about, it and they thought, you know, what we want to make is a 3D platformer. And, and part of that is when they were thinking about what platform they want to make their their platformer for, uh, they lean towards Sony because they realized that, okay, Nintendo's going to be oversaturated with the platformers just because of what Nintendo is. Uh, you know, Sega is kind of also doing their own thing. Sony's not known for having any platformers and they don't have a mascot. And so even at the early stages, in the back of their minds, they were thinking maybe we could create a mascot for for Sony. Right? Sony needs a mascot. They might be open to one, and they got one.
0: We got just the bandicoot <laughs> for the job. So the two guys who are working there at that time, do they stay important people at Naughty Dog, or are they kind of gone?
1: <laughs> so the two founders of Naughty Dog, Jason Rubin and Andy Gavin were with Naughty Dog kind of up through the PS2 and then kind of left uh during the PS3 era. So they so they saw Naughty Dog through the Crash Bandicoot and Jack and Daxter period, and then kind of left to go do other things when, you know, the Uncharted Last of Us period of Naughty Dog. If, Got it. If, if you're kind of if you're kind of periodizing Naughty Dog in in terms of like console generations. Uh, what I think is so interesting about this, right, as we mentioned before is that this was one of the first 3D platformers. So this was these two guys pretty much thinking, you know, how do we do, it has always been a 2D game, like a Sonic, a Mario, or Donkey Kong Country. How do we do that in 3D? And how do we do it with the limitations of the hardware? Because if you remember when we talked about Mario 64, the N64 was designed basically with Mario 64 in mind. And, you know, they built the analog stick basically for Mario 64. At this point, the PlayStation still had the D-pad. Right. And so they had to conceptualize, you know, what can we do in 3D that's that's still kind of fun to move around in and allows you for precise platforming, but also just using using the d pads. Mm-hmm. And so as they started to develop. Okay, Crash... Actually,
0: before we get too far into this, I have a working theory of how the the idea of Crash Bandicoot the game came about. And I would like to share it with you before you tell me too much information and I lose it because I have it so clearly in my head right now.
1: OK, you 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 you've figured out how the story of its of Crash Bandicoot's creation how
0: yeah. yeah how it came to be this first game specifically okay okay so interior daytime office no, the two naughty dog guys are sitting the there the naughty dogs the naughty do- the two naughty dogs are sitting there um mr sony is also there mr sony leans over the table and he says well boys what i want is for you to make me A Donkey Kong game. And the Naughty Dogs said, well, sir, we'll try. But the problem is they had never played a Donkey Kong game. And because they work for Mr. Sony, they weren't allowed to purchase one. (laughs) And so they had to depend on things they had heard and, uh, you know, secondhand stories that other people had told them about what a Donkey Kong game is. And try to reconstruct that into a platformer. But they had also never played a platformer before. (laughs) And so they also needed to have that explained. And this game basically in my vision is like, you know, when when first season of this show me tries to tell you what Metal Gear Solid is. Yeah. Somebody like that told them what Donkey Kong Country was and this is what they created. And, and that's what happened. And they came back, and they made it, and they showed it to Mr. Sony, and he said, this is fine. <laughs> and that's the creation of Crash Bandicoot, the series. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: I think, though, you might have hit some of the plot beats, and I think some of the ones you missed... Uh might even be surprising to you even with your lore that you've created. Nice. For example, one part that you missed was that they codenamed the game Sonic's Ass. <laughs> which is which is true because when they were trying to conceive of, you know, what does a platformer look like in 3D, they imagined, okay, well, to kind of communicate 3D space, you'd want to put the camera behind the character, mm-hmm. in which case you'd just be kind of looking at them from behind the whole time. Hence Sonic's ass. I
0: could never dream that up. <laughs>
1: And really that Sonic's ass problem in in interviews, they say that's what defined the key problem in moving from the second dimension to the third dimension. And working around that problem is how Crash became what it is structurally. Because they said, right, the problem is that, okay, yeah, you'd always be looking, if we just imagined it that way, you'd always be looking at the the character from behind. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't know how well that would play. Uh, With a camera from that perspective, because it had never been tried yet. Um, We learned how well it plays from that perspective, which we'll talk about in a bit. Uh, but they also said that, you know this isn't the best way to present a character especially if you want this character to be uh you know a recognizable mascot and you're Right, just looking at his behind the whole time
0: you never see his face except for yeah yeah yeah
1: so they did a few things uh one is that they started the game with the character facing you and that's also why in a lot of scenes you know Crash will look back <laughs> at the camera and make uh, little faces at the camera he does i know you have more to say about that a lot of mugging <laughs> It's also where they decided that, okay, we'd at least present some scenarios from more of a 2D left to right perspective. So at least we could have some moments of more traditional 2D platforming in the game. And I think that was a great decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also where they got the idea of the reverse Sonic's ass level, <laughs> where the character would be running towards the camera, like the really classic, you know, boulder chasing you down the hill, like Indiana Jones level, which is. Really what Crash became known for, like that style of level, I think that was in previews and in commercials, you know, seeing the game from that perspective, seeing Crash run into the camera, I think is what got a lot of people's attention. That's definitely what I remember the most about Crash from, you know, 1996.
0: It's very distinctive. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And in terms of the creation of Crash himself, you actually are onto something. So they, because now they're working at Universal, they hired actual animators to to help design Crash. And in terms of making Crash, they say they were inspired by what Sega had done to the Hedgehog and what Warner Brothers had done to (laughs) Tasmanian Devil. To the Hedgehog. They wanted to find an animal they said that was cute, real, but that nobody really knew about or had probably ever seen. And so they bought a copy of a book called Tasmanian Mammals, A Field Guide, (laughs) and flipped through it and noted some animals, including uh, the Bandicoot and the potoroo and the Wombat. And at first, Crash was supposed to be Willy the Wombat, which is actually a game that was made. I think it might have even been made concurrently somewhere else. Somebody was making a Willy the Wombat platformer at the same time. Whoa. Which they only found out about later. Whoa. And yeah, over time, he just kind of became a bandicoot. And these animators kind of doodled him up. and
0: Went with their first idea.
1: (laughs) There was some iteration. (laughs) But some of the decisions were made out of necessity for example why is crash orange uh, Jason Rubin says that you know he was orange because he made a list of colors that were going to be in the background of the level right and of colors that really looked bad on the televisions especially the televisions of 1996 and the one color that was left over was orange. <laughs> So he's orange.
0: We'll make our mascot the color we don't really want to use yeah. in any of these other things we already designed.
1: <laughs> Why is Crash's face so large? Because the resolution on those old televisions was low. So they needed a large face so you could see his expression. So a character of necessity.
0: Okay. I buy that. And
1: innovation. Crash Bandicoot. So hopefully you've gained a little bit more respect for Crash the character.
0: You know, animating's a hard job. <laughs>
1: To their credit, I think Crash animates quite well. Yeah. Actually. Especially for, you know, PS one era games. They they look good. I, I get what you're saying about the general aesthetic and the general art design, but I think what they do within that art design is quite attractive.
0: I think there's I think we see a radical increase in quality after one. And that's not just a graphics or resolution thing. I think the art design generally is is better after the first.
1: So since you've alluded to the fact that we've looked beyond the first game, this might be a good time to detail our journey with Crash, because initially we were just going to play the first Crash Bandicoot. That was that was our goal for this episode. And that's not what happened. We ended up going through Crash 1, 2 and 3. Yeah. Why was that?
0: (laughs) Well, I think I was probably eight or nine levels into this thing, and it was Going real bad, um, and you had sort of hopped in also and been playing around, and together we were just having a really hard time finding anything to really love or speak for in these games. Um, we were
1: we were compiling a list of grievances.
0: Yeah, it was very quickly just everything turned into like finding things to show each other about. Like, can you believe this happens in the game? And. You know, we I don't I don't think it's necessarily fun or interesting if, you know, this episode is just I expected to hate this and every single thing about it was bad. And so, you know, I like we're aware of the fact that some people really do like these games and overwhelmingly those people mostly really love two and to some extent three. And so we figured rather than just bail out on this, because also there's no way in hell I was going to get through that entire game. It's simply
1: too, simply too awful. There were times when I thought about all the people who I know love Crash Bandicoot and wondered, and this is playing the first one, wondered, is it just nostalgia? Maybe, maybe they just like resented Nintendo people. Sure. It's an identity thing. Maybe they just hate themselves. <laughs> it was one of those. I just, I was just trying to wrap my head around it and yeah, there was just certain things about Crash One that we just kept running into and we will we will enumerate them. Oh yeah. We will list them. <laughs> the grievances will be aired. Um some things that are just so obviously bad decisions were made that yeah, we just we had to try the other Crash Bandicoots.
0: Yeah. We thought we we sort of changed the mission a little bit to is there can we find something to like in these in these games, in this series? Can we get some taste of why people like them, uh, and I think the answer is that we did get a taste of that in two, and for me, probably more so mm. in
1: three, even. Yeah, but first, let's talk about this first one because oh, this is boy. your this is your introduction to Crash, this character that you've long hated, long resented on sight. Uh, so let's talk about actually those first moments. You boot up the game, you see this this cutscene about how Crash came to be in the lore.
0: Yeah. With audio so garbled, I couldn't understand it the first time through.
1: That's that's PS1. <laughs>
0: um, so at the start, you find out that Crash was an accident, which makes sense. Um, he starts out as a normal bandicoot, sort of, who is captured by the villain of this game, Dr.
1: Neo Cortex. Oh, you remember his name?
0: Yeah, because of the Cortex Vortex. <laughs> so he puts Crash in his he's trying to make an army to take over the world. For some reason he's gonna use bandicoots as his army. And the machine goes, does it bad and Crash runs and jumps out of a window and falls out of this wherever they are, their lab. Uh, and washes up on the beach. Um and uh his girlfriend's still up there.
1: Tana. Tana. Um who is replaced in all subsequent ones by Crash's sister Coco.
0: Yep. Uh, it's fine.
1: Uh, rumor has it. She's just kind of too lewd. People at Sony, both America and Sony Japan just did not like her.
0: I was going to say she objectively is a human furry, right?
1: She was supposed to be initially very like Jessica Rabbit.
0: I mean, you can see that but they more, were going more of for a that. Bandicoot. Well, it, it, this definitely reads as just like, oh, this is a human furry that has been dressing up and trying to date this actual animal. Like I don't know how else to look at those characters because she does not at all have like a bandicoot physique. She's just like a human woman with fur on. Mm-hmm. It's a fur suit. Yes. Yeah. Anyway,
1: Th- that's why she disappears. Yeah, that's probably a good design choice. So anyway, um, Lore has it. I think this appeared like a manga, like in Japan only. Oh no! That she left Crash <laughs> to date Pinstripe, the the like the mob boss villain.
0: <laughs> oh no! Yeah. Oh, I was just saying. Oh no, that there's lore oh, and other. Yeah there's, yeah. there's lore. So Crash watches uh, washes up on this beach, and uh, he gets up and is like, "Whoa!" And then you're off to the races in this game. That's so it's a it's a platformer. You play as Crash. He runs, jumps, spins his way through enemies, obstacles, platforming sections. Your classics. Yeah, um, and in Crash
1: One, those are your that's your moveset. That's it. Your run, jump, and your spin. That's it. Get used to it. Um, well, he gets more moves later in in other games.
0: Yeah, but it, so I guess the the one of the distinguishing features I think is it's in this sort of like two point five D where you have you you have a Z axis, so you have three D space, but it still essentially operates along like the four cardinal directions mostly.
1: Yeah, you're still on rails as a platform. Yeah, basically. It's yeah, Not yeah, yeah. exploration based. Yeah, a- at all. So they made that decision partly to get around the limitations of having to use the D-pad for a 3D game, To, right. to keep you on the on those cardinal directions, uh, but yeah, this is basically yeah, a 2.5D is exactly kind of I think how it is described, is that you you have you have the Z-axis, but you're you're still on rails.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's
1: a main distinguishing factor from something like a Mario 64, and when Crash One was released, because especially North America was released. So close to Mario sixty four, a lot of people kind of lamented that it didn't have freedom. Sure, sure.
0: Um, yeah, it's it's quite linear, um, and the the levels do have sort of different styles or or tile sets, but they're of pretty small number. They're sort of your jungle, your river, your factory, your castle, your like ruins. You know, they, they're familiar, I'll say, and they get a lot of use. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, so let's talk about your first introduction to playing Crash. So you land on this beach, N-Sanity Beach, as it's called. This is basically Crash's, you know, level one one. Mm-hmm. What did you think about this level as an introduction to the game? I'm, I'm, I'm really always interested in opening levels, uh, especially of this that you know opens a franchise. This is this is introducing this new character, this new, you know, this new style of platformer to right. the world.
0: Right. Um. It's fine. It sh- it shows you most of the. Bi- okay, so it has your kind of normal introduction at the very very start, where it's like it knows you're gonna do your button check. Okay, here's like a little guy to jump on. Here's a little hole to jump over.
1: So here's one thing that struck me is structurally how similar it is to actual Mario One One, except <laughs> like. Like almost beat by beat, except the perspective has changed. Where right. now you're you're running kind of towards the screen, right? Like the camera's behind you instead of from left to right.
0: Yeah, you're ra- you're running up away from the screen.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you yep. open beside some crates. Yep. So you can learn about spinning into the crates. Whereas you know in Mario, you the one of the first things you see are the 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 bricks to break. Mm-hmm. Um, you encounter an enemy. You have to jump over, you know, a pit, uh, progressively difficult pits. Even though this does it backwards, this is something that actually bothered me. <laughs> Because in my mind, like, okay, this is just, this is clearly trying to, like, echo 1-1. But how Mario 1-1 works is that you go and you jump over a pipe first to okay. teach you kind of how to jump. Yeah. Because you can't die, right? You can right just like, no risk. You can just, like, run into the pipe and then just have to redo it. Right. And then eventually you build up to the gap where you can die if you fall into the, into the pit. Whereas Crash starts you with the pit, which... Which I think is telling about the entire design philosophy of this game. That's like, we'll start you with the thing that'll kill you and then move you to the thing that can't kill you. Yeah,
0: we'll do the bad one. So one of the things that is very, I have a a question I have about this level. Why does it have split paths?
1: Oh, because Crash, this is where Crash's Robert Frost moment, (laughs) where he comes to this fork in the road. What do you mean? Why does it have? So half?
0: first of all, the the two halves don't lead different places; they just reconvene. But second well, they, of all, yeah, they
1: reconvene, but they take you down different paths, right? And you take the but road this, less traveled. You know,
0: okay. In one one, typically in first levels, we're announcing a bunch of what we're going to be doing mm-hmm. in this game. This game does not have tons of levels with like multiple
1: pathways you can take. So what I think it's doing there is is one kind of surprising you with the choice. Okay. But then what I think it's doing is, regardless of which one you take, because they both kind of convene in the same place, it's showing that you can loop back around.
0: Oh, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That you can run back towards the screen now, go see what's on the other side, deal with that stuff.
1: Yeah, okay. Yeah, and signaling, I think, that backtracking is actually a big part of this game, which it is if you want to get 100%. Yeah,
0: you know what? That's fair. That's fair. That makes sense. I grudgingly accept.
1: Do I think backtracking in platformers is a great design choice in general no i do not no we don't Um, and i will say more about that (laughs) later (laughs) but let's we'll we'll move through these three crashes pretty quickly because i want to do something different to actually dig into them we have a we have a a structure that we're going to try to test out to actually try to get at what works and what doesn't with these actual platformers yeah but I think you do have kind of a list, the list of grievances that we prepared for Crash One.
0: I have a short inventory of indefensible design choices.
1: Uh, and so maybe so we don't have to belabor this later, we can just go over some of these things, some okay. of the reasons that we bounced off of this one and, and needed to try another one pretty quickly.
0: Okay. Right up top, immediately, the save function. Saves, to save in this game, like at all, you have to collect these three collectibles of Tana which takes you to a bonus stage that you have to make it through and is failable in order to get access to a save. That is
1: wild. This this was the single biggest aggravating factor that made me bounce off this game.
0: The first time I beat like three levels and then botched a bonus that was leading to a save and lost my save and then died and lost all that progress, I was like, I'm not going to get through this game. Straight up. Like, I, you can't possibly ask me to finish
1: this. So we did play most of the levels in the game, but I uh, got a cheat code.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I and was not unlocked all the levels. All yeah. Um, so th- that's one of the most egregious things. Uh. I would say the aerial maneuvering in this game is extremely bad, and you have to do a fair bit of it. Like, you're... you're Agility, especially with jumping and in the air in terms of like having to control your your movement is just is just so, so clumsy. Um, one, one thing that I cannot get my head around is after you finish a level, you celebrate your win by watching your character have all these crates dropped on their head for every crate that you failed to <laughs> smash during the game. So you like successfully finish a level, and like this game isn't easy. I wouldn't say not all the levels are hard, but it's not like this an game easy... is difficult. Yeah, th- right. Thank you. And so instead of giving you even an instant of like, hey, good job, buddy, it just instantly is like, you didn't get all those crates though. Like you literally are seeing them dropped on your head, and your character being like,
1: ow, 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 yeah. And ow, I mean, ow, ow, yeah. I- Yeah. Again, these are all, I mean, apart from the saving thing, which I think is a serious grievance, these are all like little nitpicks. But this is where we were with this game is that we were so frustrated playing it, that every little thing like this just built up and became kind of a negative against the game. And I think and I'll elaborate on what I think we both mean by this later. But I think the reason we're doing this is because this game, I just felt that this game hated the player. Yeah. And, and it just wanted to prank you. Yeah, it just was, it was always like pranking the player. And, and again we'll elaborate on what what we mean by this later yeah but it it felt like a joke was being played on me every section of almost every level in this game
0: here's a preview almost everything in this game bounces you
1: right like the crates <laughs> bounce you yeah
0: like uh, like flowers that spew fire they bounce you why nobody knows they just do right into a hole um yeah
1: I mean yeah, so yeah, so here's an example of like a, a fun prank that's done because of the ba- the bouncing. There's a level there's, I mean, this happens multiple times, but there's a temple level where you see the checkpoints and like in some of these levels, you're so happy whenever you see a yeah, checkpoint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the checkpoint's a crate and you have to break the crate to for the checkpoint to function. And so the the checkpoint crate is on this little tiny platform. And so you bounce from the platform you're on onto the crate and you get the checkpoint, but the checkpoint just bounces you into a pit. Yep. Pranked. Yep. LOL, super fun game. Did you see that SNL sketch? Uh, Christopher Walken was on, and it was about like he was on like this prank patrol kind of show. And Chris Kattan was like playing these pranks on his sister, where he like hides in her closet and scares her. And then Christopher Walken comes on, and he's like, "I played a great prank on my on my coworker." And it's him like taking a tire iron and beating his coworker at work. <laughs> it's like I really pranked him good. Oh my god! <laughs> I felt like that coworker playing this game. Yeah. Like the developers are just beating me with a tire iron. Like and is then, this like funny for you. Oh, y- you're happy you got the checkpoint? Jokes on you! You lost the life. You're in the pit. <laughs> in the ditch. Yeah, so basically, we just weren't having fun, but we want to give this series a chance. So we went and played Crash 2 and 3, and I think we both agree that these are pretty major steps forward. Yeah.
0: Yeah, compared to the first Crash Bandicoot game, we have significantly better character handling. We have much more to do. We have new moves, um, as well as some of the classic moves. Um, but I think...
1: Yeah, much more level variety.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um we still have what I would call a a consistent lineage of design philosophy from the from the first games that you know you and I both have our our feelings about but these games are much more playable, much more enjoyable at least from my perspective to step into now.
1: Yeah, so let's take a break and when we come back we're going to talk about these three crash games holistically. In thinking about what we like and what we don't like about these games, we've compiled our own list of The Ten Commandments for 2.5D platformers.
0: Broadly applicable to many games.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Mostly Crash. Yeah. (laughs) So we'll be right back. try to parse our thoughts about the Crash Bandicoot series, or at least the you know, the, the Naughty Dog trio. Yeah. Because Crash did get... Naughty Dog lost the license to Crash, Universal bought it, and put out these other Crash games, but they're not the official Crash games. So we didn't play them. Yeah. We just played the Naughty Dog 3. Which is funny. And so I got this idea for these Ten Commandments of 2.5D crash platformers. From an article I saw in Next Gen Magazine 49 from January of 1999 where they put together what they called the the 10 tentative commandments of 3D platform game design where they were looking at Mario 64, looking at all these games that had tried to come out and replicate Mario 64 and putting together, you know, a, a list of what a game might need to do to both learn from Mario 64 but maybe even best it as as you know, the best 3D platformer. Right. Was not the best list. I was kind of disappointed by it. They, was... they stayed a little too close to the actual Ten Commandments. Right. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know what gives God the authority. I think we can do better.
0: <laughs> you know what? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and also a lot of what they were saying applies to exploration-based free-roaming three D platformers, which Crash just isn't. isn't. Yeah. So these are. Uh, a list of commandments for 2.5D platformers because it would be too easy and too cheap to just say Crash should just be a 2D platformer.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so no, we're going to we, take it on
1: its own terms. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We want to we meet it where it is. Uh, and I don't think there are no good ideas. Like, I think it could be worth making a good one of these.
1: Yeah. And some of these rules are things we learned from playing Crash. Yeah. Um, others are things that we think would improve Crash. Yeah. But all of it uh, is Crash-inspired. So we could say that Crash is our muse here.
0: Right. Uh, let me get it started. Um, rule number one: You need to create a world, or at least an aesthetic space, that we are happy to struggle in. So, one thing with platformers is that you know if they're balanced right, you will hit a point when you're struggling and you have to keep taking tries at something. You need to give us a package that we want to be in because we're gonna have to go through this ordeal with you. You need to buy that with with an aesthetic that works. Um, to me, a lot of Crash Bandicoot 1 looks garish and ugly.
1: In general, or do you mean the level types themselves?
0: Well, I mean, <laughs> with Crash Bandicoot 1, I mean it in general, to be honest. With later ones, um, I still could go for more level variety than we get,
1: um, but... You get quite a bit more, though. Um, by you get, three, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and two, you get jungles, rivers, you get snow... You get sewer levels, you get runes, you get uh, space. Right. Um, Three, you get a a good mix. Three, they find a time machine. Yeah. Uh, So there's a little bit more leeway of where they can go. They have like medieval worlds, water worlds, prehistoric dinosaurs. You don't, you love dinosaurs.
0: I do love dinosaurs. And that level is one of the better ones in, I would say, the whole series. You go to Agrabah?
1: You love Aladdin.
0: You do go to Agrabah. It's funny you should mention that. Um. One thing that I didn't expect to be talking about today is racism <laughs> on this episode. But like one of the so when I say that you need to make a world that I'm happy to to be in and to struggle in, that includes things like not wildly offensive depictions of like enemies that are just a black lady holding a shield dressed in tribal stuff. There's there's some there's some period typical uh things in here that you know, don't look great in 2021. But I guess like, okay, uh, something that I want to bring up to illustrate this point is
1: the skunks. In Crash 1.
0: Yeah, there are, there. this is part of when I knew the sacred covenant between me as a player and this game had been violated. Oh,
1: you get the skunks early. You get
0: the skunks real early. So there's skunks in your jungle level. Now, let me talk about why I hate this. First of all, skunks do not live in the jungle. They don't. That doesn't make sense. Second of all, if you put a skunk in your game, your cartoony game, what are you inviting the player to think is going to happen?
1: Get sprayed by a skunk.
0: Right, right. The defining feature of that animal. The reason why you would choose to put that animal in your game as opposed to some other animal that's about the same shape. Dimitri, do these skunks spray anything?
1: They just run forward.
0: They just run forward. They just run forward like every other little quadrupedal mammal does. They could be anything. Why choose a distinctive animal like that that doesn't fit in the biome you're trying to to evoke if it's not specifically for the capability that is so distinctive to that animal? This is so off-putting. This is so careless. I feel so genuinely disrespected by these skunks. Like, I truly hate it. That is so lazy. It's not even lazy. What are you doing? Why are you trying to... Tell me about skunkness when there's no skunkness.
1: I hate this. Maybe in the world of Crash Bandicoot, skunks... No, stop (laughs) this. Don't be cute. (laughs) Okay, okay. so the second commandment, designed for reaction, not memorization. Right. And this ties into all the pranks of this game. One of the reasons I always felt pranked is because anytime you build up any type of speed or momentum, something just gets in your way and kills you or bounces you into a pit. And really, the process of playing this game, I really felt like, okay, I just have to keep playing, so I memorize what's coming next. And I never really felt like how I like to feel in platformers, where I'm moving through the space and reacting to things as they come. But that requires me to be able to see in front of me and see what the obstacles are at least a little bit in in advance. I mean, the, the Sonic's ass and Reverse Sonic's ass cameras don't help here. Yeah. Because when you're running towards the screen with a boulder chasing you, you get so little time to see what's coming up that you may as well, you just have to memorize where the pits are yeah. in those levels. Yeah. Um. Similarly, when you're running towards the screen, just because of the perspective, there's so many times when I was running and it looked like there would be like a lip for me to fall down or something, but it was actually just a pit. Right. This is best in the 2D-ish camera angle, but even then, and times when you're going from right to left rather than left to right, I always find that it doesn't give you enough leeway on the, you know, on the side of the screen that you're running toward yeah. to actually give you enough clearance to see to see what's happening.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I would say if there's one thing I will remember about the design philosophy behind mm-hmm. this series as distinct from other platformers I've played, it's this. It's that there's so much Ha ha, you didn't see that coming. And it's like, well, no, I literally didn't because you have the camera in so tight on Mm -hmm. on Crash. Um, and you know, whether that's fun or not, maybe is like up to the player.
1: Um I don't think I've ever played a platformer in such like a staccato start and stop manner. Yes. Where I'd move a few feet and then stop and wait to see what was gonna happen and then move a few feet which maybe some people like that. That's not how I like to play platformers. And kind of funnily enough, one of the levels in Crash 1 that works the best, and and a lot of this applies to all the crashes. This, this though, is particularly true of Crash 1, uh, that it was really just about having to memorize what was ahead of you. And maybe one of my favorite levels in Crash 1 that gets around this is called Lights Out. And the gimmick of that level is that it's completely dark, mm-hmm. but... You can hit, uh, you can get an Aku Aku mask, which Aku Aku is this, or these masks that you can get that pretty much give you an extra hit point. You don't die after one hit. But in this case, he also illuminates the path and the light can go out. So you have to to get the light and go quickly enough uh, to get to the next one so you can get another light. And these are picked up in, in two and three as well with fireflies. Right. But because you're kind of on a de facto timer, The levels are actually designed so that you can move through them pretty quickly, because if they made you start and stop like that, you'd never get to the other mask in time. So they actually designed around that. And with that limitation, actually, for me, these levels gave me the best platform momentum of the entire game. That Um, makes sense. Surprisingly, the ones that didn't do this are the literal auto runners. (laughs) So in all the games, you have levels that are basically um, auto scrollers, auto runners, where you're on an animal. Yeah. Um, Either you're on an animal and the animal is kind of has a mind of its own. It's going on and you just have to react or you're being chased by a boulder or a polar bear or a triceratops or something. um, And you're running towards the screen and, and same thing. You're kind of running automatically and you just have to maneuver around obstacles. In those, though, you can also never get into the floor because it's mostly about memorizing what's going to come next. So th- those don't actually those don't actually do it. And again, just the dirty tricks.
0: <laughs> just dirty old the, trick. The
1: moment that broke me where I just started laughing, related to this idea of of just having to memorize what's coming because you can't really react, is was in this level called The Lost City, which is another one of these ruins levels in, in Crash Bandicoot 1. So you know how in a lot of platformers you'll there'll be a setup where there'll be like two rotating platforms that are kind of rotating in a circle <laughs> and then a platform in the middle. And like Mario does this a lot where you like get on the rotating ones and you can like jump to the middle one the and kind of get a, a breather and then jump to the next one and, and can you. Okay. So there's these platforms in the Lost city and there's the two rotating platforms. They're just kind of rotating around a middle platform that has a lump of fruit in it. And so I'm like, okay, I've see, I know what this setup is. I'm just going to jump, grab the fruit and then wait for them to, to cycle back around and then jump off it and keep going. No, <laughs> in this game, the platform is so narrow apparently that when you get off into that middle platform that should be kind of the safe the safe spot to grab the fruit where you wait for the platforms to rotate around it's apparently so small that if if the platform's rotating around nudge you off into the pit <laughs> When that happened I just started laughing I was like oh, good prank like <laughs> you got me I I just I it broke me that was the moment when I think any anger I had towards this game just subsided because it was just too ludicrous. This is actually a joke. Right. I can't take it seriously any longer because you did that.
0: You just accepted that you're on, you know, and
1: a, there's nothing a to signal show. that you wouldn't be able to fit on that platform without being knocked off.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah.
1: So it's like, oh okay, now I know that, so I know not to do that next time. Right. But I could there was no time to react. I was just like boop in the pit. <laughs> <laughs> kill. Uh, okay. What's your what's your next one? Number three. Well, it's a bit
0: related to some of what we just talked about, and it is mind your depth perception. So, realistically, I think it just will always be true. It's true in Mario 64. It's true in every good 3D game I've ever played. It's just harder to assess your movement on the Z-axis than on a left-to-righty axis. Yes. Or side-to-side. It's just It just is that way. So, Why don't you design levels with that limitation in mind instead of, for example, making the entire point of many of your levels running towards or away from the screen Mm -hmm. where that stuff is especially hard to judge. I mean, the infamous bridge levels, I think, are probably the worst Mm -hmm. for this, where you're on this this rope bridge suspended in just a a misty oblivion. This is in Crash 1. Yeah. Um, And there's lots of uh of planks missing from the bridge and there's a lot of very delicate very careful very precise um you know jumping forwards and backwards and you know planks fall away and and you know aren't there like it just it's such a mess it it leans so hard into the worst most finicky elements of movement in in this game and didn't need to we could just not have done that and that would have been fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, I know I was going to say that one of the rules wasn't be don't be Crash Bandicoot. This is going to be as close as I'm going to yeah, get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think, you know, if exploration is not a core component of your game, I don't know if you need to bother with the Z axis. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's worth showing off kind of the dynamic camera. Like, I don't know if the gains of that are worth the struggles that the depth perception causes. Sure. Um. Though I think Crash uses it to some good effects. And I think it was like a game that mostly kept the platforming in the left to right 2D, but then occasionally used the dynamic camera during very specific and maybe even some of the non-platforming sequences. Mm-hmm. So like I imagine some of the river levels from Crash 2 done in 2D, but then, you know, the camera can switch behind you when you get on this jet board.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: so you can still do your little uh, jet board levels from that kind of 3D camera perspective where you are moving more in and out of the screen and and left and right to collect things. But then when you get to the precision platforming parts, sw- switch you back into kind of the, the 2D um, mode, or at the very least in those cases, not let you use the, Z- the Z-axis because often, you know. I fell into this a few times where you're moving kind of left to right and the camera is facing you. So it looks like a 2D level. Yeah. But if you kind of, so if you're, let's say you're moving left to right and you push down on the D-pad, you can actually just fall off the leg. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's like, oh, yeah, right. Because the axis is still there. And it, just take that away from the player at that point, I think.
0: Yeah, 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 fair.
1: Um, okay, the fourth commandment. This is going to sound like a broken record coming for me. Uh, It's kind of the thing I say about bosses all the time. Bosses should be consistent with the genre. So my rule here is bosses should be based on platforming because this is a platform game. A low bar indeed. Yeah. So there are terrible bosses in the series. And there are also bosses that I think are actually really quite good. Um, So some terrible ones for me are the ones that mostly involve combat. Mm -hmm. So Pinstripe in Crash 1, Komodo Brothers in Crash 2. Tiny Tiger and Crash 3. I think those are really bad. I think the combat controls this are, are the worst part of the game. Spinning, understanding where enemies' hitboxes are, where yeah. your hitbox is, yeah. jumping on them uh, in a way that's precise, you know, spinning on them and hitting them with your spin. That's all really frustrating, I find. And so when you create a boss around those mechanics, those don't work. May I interrupt and tell you about
0: Papu Papu?
1: Sure. Papu Papu
0: is the first boss in the first Crash game. And... Maybe the most low effort boss I feel like I've ever seen in in a widely played video game. He's just like some 90s guy's image of what like a tribal dude would be Mm. like. He's like a, a fat, you know, tribal king. And he just stands in the middle of the room, swings a club around that you can easily jump over and you just bop him three times on the head. There's no real there's no rhythm to it. You can just bop 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 right away. He's done. There's nothing really to like carefully dot or timing or like different moves. He is Oh, also when he bends over and swings the club, you can see his whole ass, like his whole butt crack is out. It's just like I can't believe how little there is to it.
1: At least there is some platforming in the sense that you're jumping over his swinging I club. Okay,
0: congratulations.
1: <laughs> uh, but I think the, some of the bosses in these games are really good. Um, one I really like is tiny the Tiny the Tiger fight in Crash 2. Yeah, yeah. So in that one, you fight him on this three-by-three three grid of circular platforms that are hovering in the air. And basically, you're jump. he's jumping between the platforms, and you're jumping between the platforms. And at a, at a certain point, some of them just drop out. And you're just trying to... Lure him onto the ones that are going to drop out and and not fall yourself. Yep. So this is like a really fun platform puzzle. It's really tense, but it's still you're doing the platforming. Yeah. And it's still kind of the core of the game just turn into a boss fight. I thought that was really clever. Um, same with the entropy fight in Crash 3, mm-hmm. which again is really simple. You're jumping over lasers that he's sending at you. And then after you jump over enough of them, you get a series of platforms that you have to that you have to navigate to to attack them, and each kind of iteration is, is slightly harder. Um, but again, based on the core, what your game does best, the, the jumping parts. Right. Uh, so I think that those bosses were really good, but I think there are also some bad ones in here.
0: Yep, I think that's fair. Um, next commandment number five: uh, I want you to lure the player more than you direct them. I think. It's not the worst for me that these stages are fairly linear, but I think that <laughs> the way you get to bonus stages, which are a meaningful part of this game, uh, you know, apart from the, the, the collectibles, there are just these big green question mark blocks that you just stand on. And most of the time they're just like in your path and they just take you where you need to go and you do your bonus stage and then they bring you right back. There's no, like, there's there's never that thing in, or very rarely that thing in these games where, you know, you're running through a platformer space and you see, oh, like, you know, in Donkey Kong, there's one banana off in this corner, you know, where it looks like just a hole. Ooh, I wonder, I'm going to try, but you, there must be something over there. This game does not mess with that. It's like, we'll, we'll either put this bonus stage directly under your nose where you couldn't possibly miss it or we'll have literal like signs reminding you to use your moves like in 3 there'll occasionally just be a sign that is like remember to belly flop here and it's like yeah it's a huge thing of 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 crates that I've been breaking this entire time obviously that's what I would do if I don't remember to belly flop I don't deserve to break these crates like it's just there's not uh there's not a lot of that nice <laughs> middle ground you know entice me don't just uh Don't just give it to me.
1: Hmm. Okay, uh, number six. I say in platformers, give the player a complete moveset from the beginning. Addendum, don't add a bazooka to a platformer. So Crash 2, I think, gets the moves right because it expands your moveset, but you have everything from the beginning. Crash 3, you get the Crash 2 moveset, but then after every boss, you get an extra move. So you'll beat a boss and you'll get a double jump. You'll beat another boss, you'll get a super-powered spin. You beat another boss, you get a freaking gun. So I'm just going <laughs> to pause here first, because there's just something so absurd about Crash having a gun, and it just breaks the game. Yeah. It's like, if you think your game, if you want to give the player something to make the game easier, there's a more elegant solution than literally giving them a gun so they don't have to fight <laughs> into the enemies. It just, it's not a platformer anymore if you actually use the bazooka. The other thing is that none of these moves that you get in Crash 3 are ever really necessary. I do Mm -hmm. like having a double jump. I think you should just always have a double jump. I
0: was going to say, are you about to go on record that you do not like getting that double
1: jump? No, I want the double jump from the beginning. I love platformers that give me all the moves from the beginning. And then the game is a process of putting me in different situations where I have to use the moves that I've had from the beginning. Okay. I don't like getting extra moves in in platformers, especially when I don't really have to use them.
0: I just I agree with you on that the bazooka is objectively stupid. We can just write that out. But I'm not sure that I agree with this as a universalizable rule. I I could it doesn't break the rules of this world for me to add on a move like oh now you can double jump. I I Easily could imagine a platformer of this kind that put that to good and effective use without trying to be a, a Metroidvania or whatever. It doesn't have to be that extreme, but there is – it feels good to me to beat a guy and then get another move. I wish the moves were more closely related to the guys that you beat somehow, that you were, like, getting their power. But I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not convinced that this is – that there's no place for this.
1: Yeah, so maybe this is less of a commandment because it is subjective, but for me I don't want progression in platformers. Progression <laughs> is like that kind of progression in terms of getting new moves or or god forbid skill trees. Sure. Uh, that is fine in yeah, in like a Metroidvania style game where the purpose is to get new abilities and then backtrack. Like and here's the other thing, Crash, if you want to get 100% involves a ton of backtracking. So much. But you don't really have to use your moves. Right. You can kind of backtrack and and do all that without a lot of these extra moves. Um so they're just they're just kind of filler.
0: I guess I just could imagine you know, a, a crash game where they made the choice to put some of the crates in places where you can't get them without a double jump, you know, where
1: th- it also gives you a little bit more to do in, in the backtracking. Sure, that would be great. Again, give me the double jump from the beginning. Like there's no reason to not have it from the beginning. And then if you want me to do more sophisticated double jump moves later, then only put that in level three. But let me have the double jump from the beginning.
0: Okay. I'm not fully convinced on this one, but we do agree that Don't put a bazooka in your platforming game that does not at all, you
1: know. I mean, this is a a larger problem with three, right? Where at a bunch of times it's like, oh, do you maybe you don't want to make a platformer anymore because you have (laughs) motorcycle levels, you have air combat levels, you have an air combat boss. Yeah. You give the player a bazooka. Are you just tired of making platformers? And And like, that's fine. Right. If you're tired of making platformers. But. I just want a platformer.
0: Or you feel bashful about the platformer you made? It's just it's a weird choice at a certain point. Yeah.
1: Okay, next one.
0: Number 7 is demand as much precision as you offer, but no more. You have to understand how it feels to play the character that you made. Um if you don't have really fine aerial maneuverability, do not make the player do that. You should absolutely push the player to do the most that they can with the the move abilities you've given them. But understand where that line will be where it just stops being fun. And I think related to this is um, I think kind of all of these games have an issue with hitboxes. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um they're just wonky. They're often not what you think they're going to be. Anything with spikes on the side of it will have an absolutely wild hitbox. <laughs> like, if you brush the slightest past anything, it's it's truly ridiculous. And then sometimes, the yeah, it there's so many times that it comes in platforming, too, where you're like, I'm pretty sure that the front of Crash Bandicoot just clipped through that platform that you're telling me I didn't land on. But okay. Um, so this is... This is a recurring frustration. Um, Remember that time in one of the sewer levels where you and I spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out whether the blades of those fans can actually hit you?
1: I still don't know.
0: It's still genuinely unclear. So there's, you know, we are in the sewer, right? And you can picture this. There's a spinning three-bladed fan thing at many steps that at the start, when Dimitri was running through them, we were like, oh... Maybe they just don't hit you because it looked like you collided with them. Then, you know, we tested it running through them. A couple I times. went and
1: stood in the middle and they just yes. flipped through me.
0: Yes. And we we're like, oh, weird choice. The blades don't damage you. I don't know why you would put that there then. Although we did figure out the axle will damage you mm-hmm. if you jump into the point where they're mounted. And so we're like, okay, I get all right, whatever. And then later,
1: I got hit you got by- killed by
0: one of the blades. Yeah. So it's just like we might have stood in the path and let multiple ones like go through Crash Bandicoot's body. What is happening?
1: Yeah, just not just not precise. Very frustrating. Um, okay, the next commandment number eight. The process of gaining collectibles should have intrinsic value. Yes. So let me tell you about the crates. The crates are one of Crash Bandicoot's series' defining features. Mm-hmm. It's also its key collectible. If you want to get 100% in these games, you have to break all of the crates in every level, basically. This is not fun. (laughs) Correct. Breaking all the crates to get 100% is not compelling or to get the better ending. I love 100%ing platformers. I have a problem when it comes to platformers, and if you can hook me, uh, I will compulsively play your game to 100% it. I had less than zero interest. In breaking all the crates on even one level in this game. Yeah. And and, and okay, so I'm I'm gonna back up a little bit, because let me tell you about the crates in this game in general, <laughs> how they came to be. Because this is this is a story that blew my mind about Crash Bandicoot. Okay. Um, so when the developers were first playing the game, there were no crates in it. They just have the levels um, as they were. And they realized because of the processing power, you know, you can't have a ton of enemies. So the enemies were pretty few and far between they felt the levels were really sparse and the game was really boring to them at first, right? There's just too much space between things. Uh, they're also pushing the PS1 basically to its limits and couldn't render anything really elaborate in 3D. So one of the naughty dogs asked the other naughty dog, "Uh, like, what could we do? Like, what's the simplest thing we could render? And the, the other one says, like, a box. A box, yeah. And so over the weekend, they just programmed these boxes. And this kind of solved the problem. They just It, it added more interactions. They started putting crates throughout the oh levels. Oh, my God. Right, and they could also be used for some small puzzles. So like, you know, some of them will have TNT in them. Right. So you want to make sure that you can, you know, you have to kind of jump really accurately so you can get hit the boxes you want without triggering the TNT. Or there are those green nitro crates, and if you hit them once, you're automatically dead yep. um, as well. like So you really want to avoid those. There are some puzzling, some kind of platform puzzle elements that, that they allowed, but basically they were just put in the game so you could hit something so you weren't bored.
0: I mean... That's kind of how it feels like they were placed sometimes, except I I don't know that it solved the boredom problem.
1: (laughs) And then they decide, okay, we have this workaround to make our game feel like it's interactive. Let's make that one of the defining features of the Crash Bandicoot series (laughs) and make sure that these crates are tied to getting the best ending and you have to break literally every crate. Imagine if in Mario 64, instead of asking you to get 120 stars where you have to do something slightly different for each one, the game just said, Jump on every Goomba <laughs> or collect literally every coin. And like I know that like in Mario 64, getting one of the stars is getting 100 coins, and those are by far the worst because you're just doing the same boring thing. If you're going to put collectibles in your game, I want to have to do a special feat. I want each collectible to feel like I'm doing something slightly different and something slightly special. Right. I don't want to just break all the crates. Just more of these. Um. Or in the case of Crash Bandicoot 2, to get a, a gem, you have to go through one of the levels without breaking any crates. How are you supposed... So, yeah, okay. Also not Also not fun. And then in Crash Bandicoot 3, to get 100%, they have all the crates, but then they also add time trials. It's like, I also don't want to have... It, yeah. It's just filler. Like, I, if you're going to make me collect things or incentivize me to, to 100% your game, maybe one or two time trials is fine. Or like, race somebody through a level.
0: On a level that suits it yeah. also. Yeah. But
1: every one... No, like there's just there's I don't know. I there's just something there's nothing valuable about yeah those collectibles and it's one of the few platformers that I just had no desire to hundred percent or even I think in three if you just do the bare minimum you're at like twenty five percent. I was like God. I'm I'm good.
0: <laughs> like we're done here.
1: I saw an ending. I'm good.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. We're finished.
1: Um number nine. Uh this is this is a big one. The ninth commandment is don't replicate, iterate. Yep. And we've hinted at this before. Levels in the series, and especially in the first Crash, are very similar. I had a sense of deja vu a a couple times playing it. Like there were actual moments when later levels had literally the same segments of gameplay as earlier levels, but maybe one or two added jumps. Right. But in my mind, I, I, I was like, I played this level. We're done. Yeah, absolutely. Or, or did I miss a checkpoint? Yeah. I remember playing this because even within the level, sometimes you'll get what feel like copy and paste versions of earlier gameplay segments, just where, yeah, where there's one pit before now there are two pits. Absolutely. And this is this really is bad between level types. So each Crash game has kind of a finite set of themes. You know, like we were saying before, by the time you get to Crash 3, you've got, you know, basically Agrabah, you've got dinosaur themes, you've got space. tomb themes, you've got space. Uh, and these are replicated. So you maybe you'll get three or four levels uh, on a certain theme throughout the game. And you know, across themes there's variety, but within the theme, it's just very samey. Yeah, there's it's all it's replication and not iteration. Um, and there's sometimes a fine line between that. And I'll give you an example of one time it does it right. Uh, this is a level in Crash 3 called Tomb Raider. Okay. It's a pun on Tomb yeah, Raider. We, yes, thank you. you <laughs> are in the Egyptian I am tomb. a gamer now. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of these Egyptian tomb levels. Yeah. But it adds a little twist. Basically, like even if the, the basic platforming parts are, are more or less the same and the elements of the level are the same, in this one you have rising and falling water.
0: Oh right, yeah, yeah.
1: And if the water gets too high, you'll drown. So you have to like find high enough ground, wait there until the water levels lower, then run to get to higher ground, wait for it to to rise again and and repeat. And even just that, right, that's that's iterating.
0: That's enough on the that level. We have a new a new thing.
1: Right, yeah. It feels fresh. It's still using the same basic theme, same basic enemies, same basic sequence of uh, you know, of platforms, but it adds a layer, a twist on top, where it feels different, and it feels like I'm being challenged in a different way. Right? Not just in okay, I could do, I could avoid three spike traps here, and now I can av- avoid four. Right? So it, it did it. Some cases just did not do it nearly enough. Yeah. Some of the levels just became completely, completely indistinguishable for yep. me. Have uh, sure to agree. Okay, so what's the the last commandment?
0: This is simple. Don't lie. This game just, we talked about the pranks, the pranking aesthetic to start out this list. We're going to end it with the the very worst species of prank that this game plays, which is just lying to you. <laughs> this is just where you have identical platform, like the reason why you make things in a platform look like one thing and not like another is so that you're communicating to the player that... The rules that you experienced when you encountered this thing previously continue to apply here. And this game just does not do that fundamentally. Like, platforms that are unmarked will fall away, you know, having not signaled to you in any sense. Um, enemies that give no visual indication that they can't be bopped on the head to defeat them will suddenly not be bop-on-the-headable. Um Things will bounce you that there's no reason it would bounce you. The the couple of real secrets in these games are almost all hidden in absolutely absurd and stupid
1: versions of this. In ways like, that, that contradict the rules of the world. Yes,
0: that are just based on lying. Um, so one of the ones that I didn't find the secret myself, but I became aware of it from other people, from stuff online. At one point, so we talked about these green nitro boxes that will explode the instant you touch them. Yeah, you want to avoid
1: these like the plague because they are death.
0: The game drills this into you. There's one part of one level where three rows of these nitro boxes are arranged into a little staircase. And if you cleverly, I guess, think, oh, maybe those boxes that don't look any different from all the other boxes are different boxes... And climb those stairs. You will be whisked away to an invisible bonus, like secret stage.
1: Similarly, there's one in one of the um, kind of auto scrollers where, like the trite- where a Triceratops is following you, yeah. and you're running away. And some of the enemies there are these pterodactyls that you have to avoid because yep. they will kill you. But not here. Apparently, you you know, in in this one, you jump into the pterodactyl. One pterodactyl. And if you jump into the right one, it will bring you to a bonus.
0: Yeah, silly you not experimenting around with the game by throwing yourself into every single enemy to see if there's a secret uh, alternate function. It's also not the thing where, you know, you do something by accident and find a secret and then when you look back at it, you're like, oh, yeah, there's like a little thing different on this one. It's not that. It's the same. It just lies. So don't do this. This is, again, you know, it's connected to that thing about having to memorize levels rather than respond to them. Like, you're not letting me respond to information that you're giving me. That's the basic joy of this. And you're taking it away from me. And I don't care for that. It's not good game design. And I don't like it.
1: We wanted to like you, Crash.
0: We tried so hard. And
1: sometimes we did.
0: Yes. Sometimes we did.
1: Sometimes you get into a platforming groove and you feel... You know, the exhilaration that a good platformer makes you feel, and then it lies to you or it pranks you.
0: Yeah. And then you think, you know who had never done this to me? Donkey Kong.
1: <laughs> so you got through Crash Bandicoot. Do you have any last thoughts?
0: Yeah. Trash Bandicoot. Is that anything? No. Okay. Uh, anything else? Yes. They fully were just like, oh yeah, we'll just also do piranha plants.
1: Oh yeah, they're, I mean, carnivorous plants, it's not the most creative.
0: They're just like,
1: if you're in a jungle, that's a a piranha plant. (laughs) I'm going to give him a pass on that one. Anything else?
0: Every time before Crash Bandicoot mounts an animal that he's going to ride, he like turns around and looks at, I know what I said, he turns around and looks at the camera and does this eyebrow waggle. And, like, all I can think is he's going to fuck that hog. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no.
0: Every time in all the ga- he just, it turns, it's unmistakable. He does
1: it to the hogs and the polar bears. And
0: neither of which want to be ridden also. It's a non-consensual riding in both cases. Thank he's God like,
1: by three, Coco is riding yeah. the tiger. She does not do it.
0: No. They- no. She seems to have a better relationship with the animals. Yes. It's real bad.
1: I, I'm scared to ask. Do you have anything else?
0: Yeah, there are a lot of different death animations in this game for Crash, mm-hmm. and it it's sort of a, a strength in some ways because like they're they're very varied and they're very specific to the context in which he dies, the some way of that he
1: dies. Are very cool in three. There are these like two-headed ogres mm-hmm. and they can bat you and you go and you smush up against the camera like you fly into the screen and smush up against it
0: yeah there's they're, they're specific there there's one in the agribal level where the if the guy hits you with swinging his sword his scimitar he uh, he cuts crashes pants off and crashes in his little boxers and he's like embarrassed about it this this is good although by the time you have died to the same guy, Eight to twelve times, as you often will in these, it gets a little long. So it's a pro and a con. But I just want to observe them because they they put some effort into into specificity in that case.
1: Hmm. Anything else? I don't think so. Do you have any last thoughts? Actually, actually, do I have my so in in trying to like crash? Mm -hmm. I remembered people also telling me that Crash Team Racing is good
0: okay
1: i was skeptical i went in it's good oh i am having fun with crash team racing i had so much fun i played the i started playing the uh, playstation the original yeah and i bought the remaster because i think it was so good and i got to thinking you know what you know what makes a good kart racer having kind of intricate tracks that over time you have to memorize
0: Oh. And it's like,
1: I think their design philosophy that's kind of more about memorization than reaction, that still has a bit of reaction, but I think it lends itself better to a racing game than a platformer. That kind of makes sense. I think they put their energy into it. And uh, yeah, it feels it feels good. The courses are all really fun. I would recommend if anybody is hesitant to try a Crash game, try the Crash Team Racing.
0: And not Crash Bandicoot 1. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, um, if you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever you listen to this podcast on. Um, You can find more information about the show, notes about this episode at neverwasagamer.com and follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer.
1: Yeah. Thanks so much for listening. And uh, next time we'll be playing another game that Michelle expects to hate. This time, less so because of the protagonist of the game and more because of her preconceptions about the game's creator. Mm -hmm. We're going to be playing David Cage's Heavy Rain.
0: David Cage's Heavy Rain. (laughs) Hideo Kojima's.
1: (laughs) And Kojima kind of redeemed himself as you played Metal Gear Solid. So we'll see if David Cage can do the same. So thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll see you all next time after Michelle plays Heavy Rain because... Inhabiting a world where fending off attackers twice your size is easier than opening the fridge is an essential (laughs) part of being a gamer.